Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Today, my guest is Darcy Weir. First, a couple of announcements. If you would like to advertise with us, email me, forbiddenknowledgenews at gmail.com. We have unbeatable pricing, and we are doing incredible spots for our affiliates. Also, check out our website, forbiddenknowledge.news. It's the home of the Forbidden Knowledge Network. You'll find some of your favorite podcasts from our community, like Raised by Giants, Understanding Propaganda, Going Down the Rabbit Hole, Day Zero, and more. Forbidden Knowledge News is always available on Rockfin, Odyssey, Rumble, and all podcast platforms. But Rockfin is where you get our premium content. You also get all the premium content from every creator on Rockfin for only $10 a month. You can also create a free account and get access to everyone's free content, including all our regular shows. You just go to rockfin.com FKN plus to sign up or click the link in the description. Today, I want to welcome back to the show Darcy Weir. He is an independent documentary filmmaker from Canada, trained as a video editor, writer, director, and producer in university and technical college. He has chosen to work on some of the more fascinating subjects that are discussed today, including ufology, paranormal, our hidden reality, and now cryptocurrencies. Darcy, welcome back. How you doing? Good, Chris. Thanks for having me, man. It's been a while. Yeah, it has. It's great to have you back on. I can't wait to get into it. We're going to be discussing your new film, The Bitcoin Field Guide, Understanding Cryptocurrency, which is actually a bit different than the previous topics you made films about, like Bigfoot and UFOs. Uh, And I know personally, though, that uh, cryptocurrencies have saved my ass quite a few times during my journey, and I can definitely see the benefits, as well as some of the downsides, which I'm sure we're going to get into today. Uh, but this is a little different than what you've been uh, making films about. What brought you to make this particular documentary? Well, um, you know, I actually started filming this back in 2018, uh, just after bitcoin hit its peak of 19k Mm. in the end of 2017 so what really happened was a friend of mine had told me about bitcoin and i didn't believe it and um once i started researching it and finding out you know what he was doing in this new digital ecosystem um i realized there's a really cool story here that needs to be told You know, I've seen other documentaries that just kind of say Bitcoin is illegal or Bitcoin is some kind of scam. Like, I think the first documentary I ever had seen on this was on um, Netflix and it was up there for a year. It was like an hour and a half. And it was about like a guy, a bunch of guys that were dealing in Bitcoin in New York and were all getting like arrested. And I was like, what, what's going on here? Like, why is this such an illicit thing? Um, and then the next thing I watched was a 20 minute Vox documentary that was on Netflix. And they just basically said a lot of the same stuff, which is, uh, you know, Bitcoin right now is mostly used for illicit activities and um it's it's got a promising technology but it's not the real thing right and i think that one came out in like early 2019 or something like that so i realized that just like so much content that's out there uh in the world 
especially in the United States, a lot of it is curated and uh, censored. And by that, I mean, you know, you look at YouTube, so many people have had their channels taken down, uh, their, their content wiped because it wasn't appropriate, apparently, to YouTube. So that's a active curation. They're basically managing what they want to have on their uh, site. And uh, all of my films, they have to go through this curation process as well. I make them and then I, you know, cross my fingers and hope that they'll get accepted by places like Amazon uh, Prime and Apple TV and so on and so forth. So the world is the world of the media that we absorb is heavily curated. And I wanted to take a chance on producing something that was a little bit more positive about the crypto space um, and explained the full story about Bitcoin and all these other cryptocurrencies. Uh, the way I made this documentary, the Bitcoin field guide um, was literally like a guide, like a book. So the first chapter, we talk about Bitcoin and blockchain technology. What is that? You know, and then the second chapter, we talk about currency and how we, you know, originated trading goods and services for things like cattle and sheep um, and how that evolved to where we are now with fiat currency, which is literally numbers on a screen on a computer uh, that signify your amount of work that you've done, uh, that you've been rewarded. Right. And it's really a promissory note and it hasn't ever changed. I mean, back in the day, the U.S. dollar was backed by gold that was was <clears throat> kept in the bank. So you would take your gold stored in the bank and they would give you notes that were promissory notes that said, OK, this is how much money you have uh, in value because of the amount of gold we're holding or whatever precious goods that they were storing for you. Nowadays, there's no gold backing our dollar. It's literally just a promissory note that's backed by uh, the military might of the United States, the petrol, a lot of people call the United States a, a petrol dollar, uh, the USD. Um, you know, so it, it, it's loosely linked to fear and commodities. And um, crypto is backed by supply and demand. And we go into that in, in, in the documentary. We literally, in chapter three, we talk about all of these other cryptocurrencies out there. You know, we talk about the, the people, some people call them shit coins, but meme coins. We talk about smart contracts and Ethereum and, uh, you know, all these different emerging smart contract coins that are out there. And we talk about P2P gaming and how that's become a metaverse sort of new economy for people to work uh, remotely and make money from just playing video games um, online. We talk about the metaverse and then we talk about, you know, what is the future of cryptocurrency and, and where are we now? And what should a average user do? Like we even talk about things like setting up a wallet 
and uh, what kind of security you should use to really protect your your value and and what you've earned um, and just basic rules like that to guide users through this this new nebulous world that is crypto right on man i love it um it's something that i think is going to be very important for people to have a base understanding of like you said because this is headed towards our future um let me start with a big question. Some say you shouldn't even answer this question. I don't know. Who is Satoshi? Well, Satoshi Nakamoto is a, uh, you know, it's a pseudonym. It's uh, a name that was a cipher that was made by a cypherpunk online. Um, and people say that Satoshi, Satoshi Nakamoto made Bitcoin, right? He designed it. Uh, whoever this was um, had help by other crypto developers back in 2008, 2009. Bitcoin was created out of protest of the great financial crisis of 2008 because, as you may remember, the banks were bailed out by the government. At that time, we thought it was egregious what happened because. They were given 750 billion and instead of taking that money and saying hey let's keep all these people employed at our corporations or uh you know within our organization um with that bailout money let's keep them in their seats keep them at their desks and and just push forward through this recession they laid off massive amounts of their workforce and they kept that money for themselves and then paid out their executives, their CEO and stuff, millions and millions of dollars in bonuses. So that's really how our current banking system works. It does not award the, the many, it does not uh, privilege just any Joe out there, it only helps the very few, the elite. And Satoshi Nakamoto and, and the folks that were behind designing Bitcoin knew that and wanted to launch something that was more fair and was not run or controlled by government or banks. And that's exactly what it is. And uh, in the very first line of code, it actually has the great finance, it, it gives a head nod to um, the great financial crisis, uh, the year, and it also gives a nod to Satoshi Nakamoto. Now, who was he? Um, people speculate that Satoshi Nak Nakamoto was actually a man from Arizona State, uh, a, a man that went by the name of Hal Finney. Uh, this was a very brilliant developer, and Hal Finney was suffering from a terminal illness he saw what went down in 2008 and said, hey, I'm going to finally launch this new cryptocurrency. Um, people have been trying to launch different cryptocurrencies many years before that, but they never really succeeded. And um, this succeeded because it took off in this sort of subculture crypto punk uh, online uh, network of people. And the thing that really makes a cryptocurrency work long term is a the network in which it uh, 
the strength of the network that it has, meaning how many people are using it and are interested in, in trading it and B, you know, what kind of value it offers in terms of technology and answering some kind of problem that we have in society. And Bitcoin did both those things really well initially. And as it started gaining more and more interest, the network expanded. So that's why it's still worth around $20,000 per Bitcoin today. It had a massive crash, but most of the time that you look at these charts, when it, it capitulates and it has these huge crashes, very seldom does it go lower than the peak of the last bull run. So it's, it's most likely going to hover in this range for a little while until the next halving starts picking things up. And also uh, it's very possible that um, we could have a, another short-term bull run just because people are interested and it's not just people like retail users like you and myself, but it's like BlackRock, um, one of the massive biggest investment and financial firms in the world that controls about $10 trillion in assets. They just partnered with Coinbase two days ago. And that's not just a pure Bitcoin play. That's a everything crypto coin play because Coinbase allows you to trade everything. So their clients are gonna be exposed to this, to Coinbase plays. And you're gonna see, in my opinion, the stock market start to lose some interest from folks like the millennials and this investment class that's ruled by the old money like um, BlackRock mm. types of corporations. You're going to see that money, I think some of the liquidity come out of the standard money markets and go into the cryptocurrency markets in the next year or so. Um, it's exciting. But you yes, we definitely about, don't want to see it going into the hands of BlackRock, that's for sure. Well, look, um, I, I think this is actually advantageous for BlackRock yeah. to get involved. I know a lot of people that have interviewed me about Bitcoin and uh, cryptocurrencies in the past three months have said the same thing. Like, how do we stop the elites from getting into crypto? Right. You're not going to stop them from doing anything. You know, they run the show. But if you're an early adopter, if you get into some good quality plays, this is not financial advice, um, but you get into some high quality crypto technologies that are going to last the next five to 10 years at least, you're probably going to do well as that old money comes in. So I think it's it's fine if, mm. if you know, BlackRock or the likes of you know, you already have old money in it anyways. You have like the Winklevoss twins. You have uh, Michael Saylor, you know, who had um, uh, his massive investment firm invest billions of dollars into Bitcoin. And uh, Elon Musk, you know, got into it. He sold 75% of it recently, but it, it just shows that there's smart money out there that's following this play because they are even looking at things like the US dollar and worldwide trade globalization ending. You know, they are looking at what happened in Ukraine 
and what's going on with Russia and China right now and how they're allying and they're saying to themselves, where should I, I don't know if I should hold on to US dollars because that's eroding right before my eyes. That's what you're seeing with inflation. Yeah. And like, should I own gold or should I own this new digital gold? Should I own this thing that also is very finite in the amount that you can have around the world? Um, but it's a technology that you can trade instantly, right? Gold, you can't, you can't really trade and barter with gold. You could, but you're going to be losing a lot of your value if you trade with that. And you also have a security issue of having to hold on to it in your home where people can just put a gun to your head and take it away. With Bitcoin, it sits either in a hardware wallet, which could be at home with you, or it can sit in software wallets and online and cloud storage. I would always advise go with hardware wallets, but um, there's an opportunity to move that so much easier. And, and that's why it's also valuable because essentially why, you know, these documentaries were originally coming out attacking it was because people didn't understand it in my opinion. And also because media is curated and media is owned by the banks media is not going to be for something that may overthrow old world technology and money and essentially with the banking system if you look at what we do every day you know you collect money for your work every month it goes into the bank account the bank then takes that money they invest it they do all kinds of stuff but they say, yes, we'll, we'll make sure you always have that in that account if you ever need to withdraw it. And on top of that, they sell you services and products and just for them holding it, you know, it's not free. At the end of the year, you're being charged anywhere between 1200 to maybe $2,000 per user. So the banks use, a, they, and you know, multiply that by millions of people, they make a lot of money off of their users. And what do you get for that other than just having the money in the account, right? Mo that, that's what most users do. Yeah. With Bitcoin, you're basically completely replacing that paradigm within that technology. So all you need is a digital wallet. You go onto Chrome, you download an a application called MetaMask. MetaMask is a software wallet that you can install Ethereum tokens, you can uh, put a Bitcoin address there, whatever crypto you want, that they have the ability to set up, which is pretty much everything, even if you had to do it manually. Um, and then you buy Bitcoin with your fiat. And once you have it in that wallet, you can pay for services, you can pay for goods, and you can transfer that money to the company or to the individual for that service or good instantaneously. And you're not having to pay a bank or uh, a middleman for holding it. You become your own bank. That's the power of it. And that's why media has been against it because it's gonna crash the banking system if more and more people are taking their money out of the fiat system, out of the banking system, and they're converting their fiat value in dollars, their work essentially that they've accumulated over the years 
into a crypto coin, into something like Bitcoin and just holding that instead of, like I said, using a bank. Now, it's going to take a while for services and retailers and, uh, you know, product all the all this stuff to be available to be processable with cryptocurrency but you're looking at visa mastercard adopting it um you know there's all of these retailers that are on the edge of adopting crypto payments like walmart uh amazon's building their own crypto department so when they're hiring all these developers if you look at these big retailers and such hiring developers for crypto and blockchain uh, development. The proof is in the pudding that they know that that's the future and they're going to want a piece of that pie. They're not going to want to just deal in fiat only if they even look at that fiat, the US dollar, and they're like, what the heck's going to go on with this over the next 10 years? Yeah, I think a lot of the hesitation that people have uh, for getting into Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies is they don't understand the value of it. And I still have, you know, troubles understanding completely what's going on with blockchain technology and how it carries this value to it. Maybe you could help explain a little bit uh, what's going on there with blockchain. Okay, so blockchain essentially is a new like block of every when you look at this technology most of the blockchains are modeled off of the same blockchain that bitcoin was designed with ethereum is different um you know there's coins like eGold that is different v chain is different but essentially they all use this technology which is called an open ledger and let's picture like an excel spreadsheet that's immutable, that only can add transactions from users executing things. Um, that spreadsheet cannot be manipulated by you or I manually. So it's super, super secure. And the technology, the code is built into this, uh, let's say closed system format so that as soon as you execute transactions, those get recorded to the network and it's written into the history of it and you can't change it. You can't alter it unless you've completed a trade or somebody has sent you something. So with these digital wallets, like I talked about with MetaMask, for example, if I say, okay, Chris, I'll buy that guitar that's in your studio there behind you. And you say, all right, give me 600 bucks. I say, okay, I'll use, do you want Bitcoin for that? They'll say, okay, um, $600 worth of Bitcoin. Now, you don't have to send a whole Bitcoin to somebody. That's where people, people kind of get their minds a little bit confused here. But just like there's one whole dollar, there's also cents, right? With Bitcoin, there's one whole Bitcoin, but everything beyond the decimal point up to nine spaces is called the Satoshi modeled after the creator Satoshi Nakamoto. So those Satoshis are kind of like the smaller divisions of a Bitcoin. And so for that guitar, I don't even know what 600 bucks worth of Bitcoin would be, but let's say it's 
five Satoshis, right? My math is probably completely wrong. We agree to that. I send you the Satoshis, then you have that in your account and it will actually reflect in US dollars how much you have, but in Bitcoin. And then you'll give me the guitar. So that is a value that it's an in instantaneous transaction. It's faster. It's uh, P2P, person to person, kind of like BitTorrent or Napster back in the day, that type of thing, right? So we're taking, we're taking basically this technology and we're using it person to person and it cuts out the middleman, the banking system. Now, blockchain, that technology that we execute those tra transactions on is a closed loop. So the Bitcoin itself is part of the blockchain. And every time, the only time that that blockchain records new transactions is if users interact with each other or miners mint new Bitcoin. So that's essentially what the power of a blockchain is. It has digital rules that are written into its existence from the moment that it's uh, the first coin is minted. And um, it also, th those rules are set in stone, kind of like a 10 commandments. And once you have that blockchain set in motion, you're not supposed to be able to change it. But that's the power of Bitcoin. There's the owner is not around anymore because Hal Finney passed away. If, if we believe that that is who did it. Mm. Additionally, you also have people on the network working in a very democratic way, operating between each other. And therefore it's not run by a bank or a government. It's completely autonomous. So, it's a valuable blockchain because of that, because it, it, it's not as corruptible as traditional currency like the US dollar or the British pound, whatever. And on top of that, um, it has value because of the technology that it is, that it, it replaces. Every time you have technology that's innovative, when something is innovative, it offers two things primarily that will lead to better adoption. The reason why we're using Zoom today is because it has solved a problem. Technically, it has allowed us to use video and audio communication around the world instantaneously. That's high quality. And on top of that, it's free. <laughs> so it offers better value and it offers better efficiency. When you innovate, when you make something that's innovative, you offer better value for the user and better efficiency with bitcoin you're cutting out the middleman like the bank which takes value from you they take money out of your money every year and ad additionally if i want to settle something if i want to send you money it usually takes longer so there's and and there's more people in the middle and when i send you something they take a fee for that too I'm sure you've seen that, right? Oh, yeah. So again, value taken away from sending money and efficiency taken away. So that's why blockchain is important because it offers better efficiency and better value. It's an innovative technology. 
What can we do to fight back against big pharma and the compromised medical industry? We can become healthy and break free from the perpetual cycle of being poisoned by criminal organizations like most pharmaceutical companies. Come check out what may be the most powerful antioxidant known to man, C60 Purple Power. The benefits of C60 have been personally outstanding. I use it every day and I feel incredible. I have tons of energy, I sleep great, and I haven't even come down with a cold since I started using C60 over two years ago. You can even get C60 for your pets. Do your own research, click the link in the description, and check out their website. If you order from that link or use coupon code KNOWLEDGE10, you get 10% off your order plus free shipping. What is your health worth to you? Right on. I think one of the problems we're facing right now, though, as far as uh, being charged within the crypto space is the wallet scams that we're seeing. Um, a lot of these wallets and people involved are charging ridiculous amounts to do swaps and things of that nature. And a lot of people see that and that turns them off, too. Uh, do you think this is going to be maybe somehow resolved in the future or where do you see that going with these ridiculous fees? Yeah, yeah. So, um that's a really good question. And, and like that is a good example of what you're talking about is basically um, transacting or swapping from one crypto asset to yes. another on the Ethereum network. Everybody who's been playing in the crypto space over the past two years has been hit by an Ethereum fee, a gas fee. And Let's talk about Ethereum first, and then we can talk about Bitcoin and how that's going to change. So Ethereum is going through the uh, merge, which is the first step in converting from ETH 1.0 to ETH 2.0, which they're also rebranding to the consensus layer. Um, and when they go through the merge, there's going to be a purge and all these other development steps to get to the next, you know, better better quality network to trade on. Um, and one of those things is that's happening is the Ethereum network will add sharding to transactions. So right now, if you're dealing in blocks and you're transacting from one wallet to another wallet on Ethereum, you're, you're basically using their old technology in which there's a set gas fee a certain amount of Ethereum that needs to be burned in or used in order to complete that transaction. And it can be around 50 bucks. I mean, when when the network was really congested in 2021 because there was massive amounts of retail and probably corporate adoption behind the scenes, people were getting $200 gas fees. Crazy, right? When sharding comes into play, basically, transactions instead of happening in a one sort of uh, one way a gas fee what happens is transactions will break up the blocks will actually break into trees of opportunities for transactions and when it breaks up into these multiple shards of transactions it will lower the gas fees because 
a bunch of different queries will go out. So your query to send me some money and five other people or 10 other people's queries to send their money at the same time will go into one um, calculation, one block, in the, and they will be all sharded into a tree connecting to that block. And when that completes, each shard will have a lower gas fee. So that innovation is coming. Um, and September is when the merge happens. So I don't think we're going to see lower gas fees in September, but we're going to start to see Ethereum grow in value in September because their supply of ETH, which is the coin that runs on the Ethereum network, is actually going to become more finite. Um, the reason why Bitcoin is worth so much is because you've got a limited supply, only 18 million that will ever be available at this point. Um, we've minted 90% of that supply to date. And with that 18 million that's out there, you have this demand coming in. People saying, I'd rather hold that than gold or fiat dollars or whatever, because I see this as an opportunity to protect the value that I've gained. So as international demand comes into Bitcoin, the value goes up. More people buy, the value goes up because there's only a certain amount there. Ethereum is going to go through that supply shock after the merge because their burn rate of Ethereum will keep going up and their mint rate will go down. Miners will not be able to mint new, Bitcoin, uh, new ETH as um, heavily as they used to. They're moving to proof of stake out of proof of work, which is a mining term. Um, proof of stake is kind of like you own a certain amount of Ethereum and you lend that Ethereum back to the network in order for developers to build apps on, people to you know, do transactions between each other, and you get paid in new minted Ethereum through lending uh, in interest, right? That actually, their mechanism will actually automatically mint a certain amount of uh, Ethereum, but a lower amount of Ethereum that currently goes out into circulation. I think it's only about a 2% inflation rate per year, which is way higher than the US dollar, or way lower than the US dollar. Um, so, things will get cheaper and the value of that coin will go up um, as more development happens to these networks with bitcoin um, there's an upgrade happening to that network called the lightning network lightning network is an upgrade that's being implemented it's like the bitcoin version of you know uh, the eth 2.0 or consensus layer that's coming and what that's going to offer is cheaper gas fees and uh, faster transactions. So again, it's something that's going to offer better value and efficiency for the users. And that means they, I think that uh, retailers and such, as they adopt this sort of crypto payment option in the future, um, these upgrades will allow those retailers to transact quicker for their users and also 
in smaller amounts, smaller denominations. So in the future, you may not use, you know, one whole Ethereum to buy something. You might use 0.000056 and the same with Bitcoin, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, now, earlier you were talking about meme coins or shit coins. Uh, I have never kind of dabbled in any of these. Uh, I know that I have quite a few friends that like even trade with these and they, uh, they, they purchase a whole shit ton of them when they're very cheap. Uh, what is your opinion on these meme coins and, uh, do they, are they going to be useful at all? Mm. So the problem with meme coins, in my opinion, is the supply. If you look at something like Dogecoin or Shiba Inu, they have like, I mean, I don't want to just make it up. Let me just quickly look. But if you look at, um, let's say Dogecoin, Doge, um, it's worth right now 0 0.069 cents. So almost seven cents per Dogecoin. And the circulating supply the amount of Dogecoin that's out there in the system for people to trade with, transact with, is 132, I, th I think, billion. 132,670,000,000. So that's a lot, right? Compare that to Bitcoin, there's only 18 million, right? That's ever going to be available in circulation. Um, and the total supply of dogecoin is it says on coin gecko infinity so how does that translate to value it's the same as using the us dollar they just keep printing us dollars you know the great financial crisis of 2008 they printed 750 billion to bail out banks and all that stuff protect the economy and we thought that was an insane amount of money back then COVID hit and they printed $4.5 trillion into existence. The, the M2 money supply before that, before COVID, before that money printing was only 4 trillion. So over the course of two years, they printed double the amount of money supply into existence. Okay, so that means that literally it's funny money. It, it's it's something you can just keep printing and, and manipulating as much as you want. Bitcoin, you can't. It, it's it's in stone set into its foundational code that will never be any more than this amount. And when I look at cryptocurrencies, I look for a bunch of different things but one of the things obviously is the network you know the amount of people that are trading it and its ability to be integrated into future um, other networks so meaning will it propagate and spread around the world even more i look for that i also look for what the problem or what the uh solution it has to a problem in the digital world and then i also look for how many are out there in supply and how much will be in supply ever and dogecoin does not tick 
I mean, it ticks the network box for me because it actually does have a big community. Um, it has many, many people out there that are, like you said, are using it to transact with. And Elon Musk had a fun time promoting it and allowing you to transact with it only at the gift shop for Tesla. So you can buy a t-shirt <laughs> or a mug, you know, Yeah. but you can't buy a car with it because he knows it's a joke. And that's the real sick thing about it, you know, and he owns a bunch of Dogecoin, but, mm. but it doesn't really, all it is, is just another USD. It's another, like, it's a crypto version of an infinite supply dollar. So the value of it to me long-term will erode. And a lot of these meme coins have that sort of problem. They're made because they're funny and because they'll catch some kind of viral buzz yeah. initially. And that's what happened with Dogecoin. But then if they don't have those other uh, solutions and development going on and they have this supply that's infinite, it's not worth it. it it's not going to protect the value of your hard work and money. Well, let's look at Bitcoin. You said that there's um, only 18 million in circulation. Theoretically, could someone just snatch all that up? So there are currently the circulating supply is 19 million. Um, and the total supply supposedly is 21 million, right? But the problem with this figure of the circulating supply is that it's wrong because many of those Bitcoins have been locked away and lost. You hear about stories of a British band who threw out his hard oh, yes. drive uh. and he's got like millions of dollars thrown away mm -hmm. because now that Bitcoin is lost in a dump somewhere in, in the UK. Um, there's really wealthy early adopters that bought millions of Bitcoin and then they passed away and they never gave their hardware or software wallet passwords to their loved ones. So when they died, it died with them. So um, the circulating supply is not very accurate. They're still going to keep minting them. Uh, but anyways, yes, technically, once they're all printed, then people can you know, somebody who's super wealthy, let's say BlackRock, if they want to go, okay, we're going to throw $1 trillion of our $10 trillion worth of assets into owning Bitcoin. Right. Well, that would drive the value of Bitcoin way up because it, it that would be a, a, a complete windfall of liquidity into a supply that's very small and right now i think the market cap is only 444 million so that means around the world right now the amount of people that have bought a bitcoin or a piece of a bitcoin is a pool of money that's 444 million dollars okay for sorry 444 billion, billion, okay? 
the total the total crypto market is valued at around one trillion right now. We're just a, we're above one trillion now. It fell when when the big crash happened. It went below a trillion. Um, but at its at its peak last year, it was at about two trillion. So we know that this crypto market can absorb a massive amount of money of fiat dollar value. The question is, should people own fiat currencies and hold their value of their work and what they've earned or saved over the years? Should they save it in that? Or should they transfer some of that value and hold it in a cryptocurrency? And the point of my documentary was to try and educate people on that opportunity to maybe protect some of their wealth, because like, you know, my documentaries are all very different in subject. And this is completely off from what people have probably seen me make before. But I feel that this is a real, um, just like all my documentaries, I try to think there's something real to this subject. And the real thing that's in crypto is that this is a real opportunity for people to protect their value of their, their work and efforts in the future. Yeah, that's, that's great, man. Um, I mean, I, like I said, I myself have seen the, some great benefits uh, coming out of cryptocurrencies. It saved my ass plenty of times and I can see where, um, if it possibly jumps back up in the future, I mean, that's going to be a huge thing, uh, with, you know, the amount a lot of people already have invested. Do you see it going back up, um, to, you know, how, how far do you see actually Bitcoin rising? Honestly, like I'm not a technical analyst, like there are so many on YouTube and I actually partnered up with this guy, uh, featured him in the documentary and interviewed him. He goes by the name BitBoy Crypto on YouTube. Uh, his real name is Ben Armstrong. He comes from a traditional finance background, but got into cryptocurrency and Bitcoin many, many years ago now. Uh, so he was an early adopter. Um, his channel is really about predicting, you know, where could we go with this and what's happening in the market right now, what's happening in the news and all that stuff. And I, I check in and, and watch his show and many other crypto influencers shows online. But I think what you have to realize is that this is a technology, right? This is a, uh, a space, a, a new digital economy. And if you look at the internet and the emergence of the internet and IT that came out of Silicon Valley in the 90s into the early 2000s, we went through the same boom and bust, right? We had roaring up to the late 90s and then ending in, in the year 2000, uh, the crypto, the, the internet bubble. I don't know if you remember that, but like you had all of these companies and individuals going into this new economy, this new digital space, which is the internet. And there are all these dot coms starting up left, right and center and the crash happened. And what happened was out of that crash, 
you saw the frauds, you saw all the weeds and the, the criminal activity and the garbage being shaken out of the market. And there were naysayers at that time. There were people that were saying that, oh, the internet, you know, the dot-com bubble has burst. This fad is over. We're not going to be, let's go back to reading newspapers and collecting magazines and going to the library to read our information and find out the facts about the world. That's where everything is stable. Let's go back there. It's over guys. You know, that's what people were saying then. And the funny thing is too, countries like China outlawed the internet when it was on the rise. Um, and They've outlawed Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency assets, but they're launching their own. And they eventually came back and launched the internet in their own way as well, that they can fully monitor their public and control everything, right? Um, why I'm telling you this story is because Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency market has just gone through that dot-com bubble crash, okay? And it's recovering. So it's a technology just like the traditional internet, but it's like, it, it's an evolution of the internet. It's the next step in where we're gonna go with the metaverse and connecting to each other digitally and using applications. Blockchain is this new technology that people are gonna be using more and more in the future. And it's not just gonna be like, this banking solution. It's going to be gaming. It's going to be communications. It's going to be uh, government. You know, uh, they're looking at adopting blockchain technology to keep track of their systems and and what they're doing with money and running projects and uh, you know developing new things within the economy. So we're we're kind of we're coming out, I think we're going to come out of this crash and your guess is as good as anybody else's, but Bitcoin being at $23,000 right now may seem expensive to a lot of users, a lot of people that are not the early adopters, but I think that's still cheap. I think that, um, you know, 68 or 64,000 when it was at its peak, where, what, what was it at? Let me, let me make sure I'm not just pulling out random numbers here, but it's all time high was $69,000 per Bitcoin on November 10th, 2021. That's nine months ago. Mm. Um, the next halving will happen in 2024. And essentially what happens is that supply becomes crunched again because the amount of Bitcoin that gets awarded to miners on the network goes down by half. So there's less Bitcoin in circulation as of that next halving day. And usually around the halving, like usually three to four months before the halving hits, you start to see the bull run take off again. So I think a lot of these predictions that you had from all of these Bitcoin maximalists that came out last year and the year before saying, oh yeah, Bitcoin's going to hit 250000 or $500,000 per Bitcoin. 
I think that's going to happen at the end of 2024 after the halving. Now, what is the um, halving? Uh, it's just for those that may not be familiar. Yeah. So I kind of explained it. Uh, essentially, when you're looking at the supply of Bitcoin, what's happening every day, every month of the year is new Bitcoin or chunks, Satoshis, are being minted to the network by miners. So we go over Bitcoin mining uh, and Ethereum proof of stake and stuff in the documentary in one of our chapters. Um, and essentially what happens is you've got these companies now that have warehouses full of server computer sort of setups and they are using uh, specially built ASICs they're computers that are solving algorithmic problems on the Bitcoin network. And every time they solve those digital, those uh, mathematical algorithmic problems, they're strengthening the network. And by doing that, they're awarded Bitcoin. They're given a piece of Bitcoin, usually Satoshis, sometimes a whole Bitcoin, depending on how big the problem is, right? And they're keeping those in their digital wallets. And um, when a halving happens, it happens every four years. When a halving happens, you're essentially taking those algorithmic problems, you're making them a lot less likely to award a full amount of Bitcoin or uh, more Satoshis, those smaller denominations of a Bitcoin. In, in fact, what happens is instead of them awarding, let's say, 0.6 Bitcoin to you, they're going to award you for solving an algorithmic problem 0.3. So they give you half of the reward every four years. And therefore, it makes the supply more scarce. Um, can, this, can this be hacked, this, this technology? So when you hear about these hacks that are going on, what's usually happening are two things. Um, you're either hearing about people getting their wallets hacked, not the cryptocurrency itself, or you're hearing about a company stealing liquidity, doing a rug pull from its users. And it's criminal. Those you know, hackers will answer for what they do eventually. And the companies that launch these new crypto coins that are that don't really have a good plan, they have like uh, a white paper that says they're going to make this beautiful network and this coin function and it's going to connect to all these other networks maybe and have this applicable problem solved. They usually have a white paper, but the coin's not done yet. And when people are buying that coin, they're investing. They're literally gambling on something that's not proven yet. So, excuse me, um, that's a really risky play. And um, the rug pull comes from the company saying, okay, we actually can't solve this problem. We have no intention to. But we have all this liquidity, this investment that's come into our network from users that have found this to be a project they think that's going to be worth something down the road. 
and they just say, screw it, let's steal the money and run away. So that sort of thing is happening and an actual hack is where these hackers are essentially breaking into exchanges cleverly uh, through code exploits and they're stealing liquidity by sending it to their own wallet or sometimes they're actually tricking users into giving away their mnemonic phrases, their, their password secret phrases, and they're connecting to the wallet themselves and then draining the crypto coins into their own wallet by sending to themselves. So um, protect your wallets by never sharing information with other users online. Don't click links in Telegram or these other messaging uh, services where people say, hey, uh, you know, let me help you out. Click this link and I can send you some crypto and stuff like that. There's all kinds of scammers out there. It's insane. And the other thing is invest in projects that don't seem like they could rug pull. So a really good project, for example, a coin that has been made and fully proven and is just continuing to get adopted is Bitcoin or Ethereum. Um, these new coins that just pop up every day and every month are not proven because often they're not even fully developed yet. They haven't finished what they've set out to do. They're just a security in a startup company, essentially. Uh, it's like you're investing in a share of a startup company and you're taking a risk on that startup company stealing your money and shutting shop right away or that startup company screwing up and letting some hacker break into their their poorly developed security code and draining the funds out. So that's what happens with hacks. Can you hack a Bitcoin? No, you can't. It's 256-bit uh, SHA-2, um, which is like the highest uh, security right now. Banks use 256-bit AES. And um, people speculate that maybe a quantum computer can hack a Bitcoin, but... A quantum computer costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. There's not a lot of developers that use quantum computers yet. And on top of that, um, there's companies that see that as a possibility and they're building a solution, an upgrade to protect the Bitcoin network. So there's actually a company out there, if you Google it, uh, that's building a quantum computer security solution for Bitcoin. So that's the other thing. You can't upgrade U.S. dollars. Hmm. It is just this fiat currency. Whereas Bitcoin, you can, it, it's, its supply is set in motion. Its autonomous nature is set in motion. No one is ruling over it or running it. It runs itself. But then you can add on security and you can add on efficiency upgrades. 
Right on. Uh, now, I want to get into something you mentioned earlier that you, you discussed in the doc is the metaverse and how crypto is going to be integrated into this. Uh, now, the metaverse isn't something that I'm necessarily a proponent of. I think it's just another way to, to kind of just get pe- people plugged into this false reality and unplugged from real life. But I know it's going to be uh, something that is inevitable that will be rolling out. Uh, where do you see this going in the integrations with crypto? Well, we already are living like a metaverse, so to speak, right? Like if you look at what we're doing right now, we're connected to a computer and the computer is connected to the internet and the internet is the metaverse. Like everything is connected through that now. Uh, It's the age of information and people can have everything that was in a library on their phone instantaneously. Uh, Gaming is going to be this new sort of metaverse, I think, this new virtual avatar uh, space that people will connect to. And essentially, when you hear about Facebook rebranding to Meta and their plans to base their whole company around that, What Mark Zuckerberg is aiming at is that people will log into Facebook or Meta, and when they log into that, they will have their digital identity, they will have their digital wallet where they can keep their crypto, and they can even have their job, they can have their friends network, they can have their family and everything on that network to connect with instantaneously. So if gaming connects to, let's say, Meta, Facebook's application, and you have a digital wallet and you go and play that game and you get rewarded in crypto coins to your digital wallet for playing that game, you essentially are going to work. You're waking up, you're connecting to your computer, and you're living at your computer in this metaverse. And that's essentially what they're, and and you have your avatar that you use to interact with family, friends in the gaming world, as well as your business, which is your gaming or or whatever you're doing. And I mean, you can even connect, you know, uh, services and products that you sell to the Amazon marketplace or to the um, Facebook marketplace already, right? So what they're going to do is they're going to connect up that to your avatar and, and so on and so forth. That's not going to be the only metaverse. Uh, Vitulik Buterin, you know, created Ethereum and that Ethereum network already has these metaversal games being created all the time. Axie Infinity is this like Pokemon style game that really took off in 2020, 2021 during COVID. And in fact, there were folks, a huge amount of people in the Philippines were setting up crypto wallets and transacting and playing Axie as a full-time job to replace their jobs that they lost during COVID. So they were essentially becoming metaverse users in this gaming network. Um, being rewarded for battles and adventures that they were playing online in the Axie space in 
SLP tokens and using Axie tokens to create more of these Pokemons that they battle with. Not Pokemons, but their Axies, right? I'm just trying to give people uh, some kind of idea. Um, and so essentially, that is a metaverse. It's a gaming metaverse, but um, you're going to have more and more of that. You've got uh, a new digital economy where people can connect up to their computer and they can run everything from their home. And look, here's the scary truth of things. The world is on the brink of a lot of scary change, possibly. We could have world war. You know, we're already in cold war in a big way. The United States has essentially made many cold war, cold war enemies over the past uh, years. And we're full-fledged into that, but it could get worse. There could be weapon exchanges and there could be hacking, you know, uh, attacking power grids and all that kind of stuff happening on the horizon. And what does that equate to in my mind? That means that people are gonna be less likely to wanna travel they're going to be less likely to want to go outside if pollution continues because of these sort of wars and weird situations where um, we're actually using more fossil fuels than re renewable energies and, and other opportunities to to clean up the planet. Um, it might actually be like many cities you live in in the world are the same as L.A where the air is literally toxic. You go to a place like Beijing, good luck, buddy. You better wear a freaking gas mask when you walk around there because <laughs> your life expectancy from having such dirty air and dirty uh, and lack of clean drinking water, it's usually equates to the same thing, means that your life expectancy is going to be drastically lower. I lived in Vietnam. The average life expectancy in Ho Chi Minh City is around the age of 60. Okay. And that's young in the United States. So if we have conditions deteriorate around the world, uh, economically, with war, with environmental damage, and therefore our, you know, outdoor environment being more hazardous to our health, you're going to see some kind of future where the metaverse becomes more and more popular because people just stay at home in their shelter where they're safe and they connect up to the world that way. Yeah. And that, I mean, I, it's, a, I know it's uh, probably an inevitable future, but it's very sad future for me. Um, I personally would try and urge people to do anything possible not to take us there and try and use, you know, uh, these renewable sources of energy and get away from all these corrupt systems that we're currently in. And, you know, we do have a chance to do that, I see. But I think that cryptocurrency will also be a, a benefit if we use it in the right way during the future. So uh, very, I think we're in very critical times when it comes to all this stuff. Uh, now, for people that were, are not really into the crypto space, but they're kind of looking to get involved, maybe purchase a little Bitcoin, what's the easiest way for them to, to get involved with this? I think the easiest way is to use an exchange, 
Um, to start there, you know, you can sign up for an account really easily in the United States on something like Coinbase. Um, and you can dollar cost average in, which is every month, you know, you have your services that come into your home, like your internet, electricity, your rent, whatever. You pay for that with your fiat currency. And then anything you have extra, if you feel like protecting some of that value, dollar cost, cost averaging in is buying the same amount, but every month throughout time in the future. So if I wanna buy 0 0.005 of Bitcoin every month going into the next 24 months, eventually I'm gonna have a certain amount of Bitcoin built up. And as the value goes up over the next 24 months, and I see the US dollar or another fiat currency that I might be using wherever you're listening to this in the world, um, eroding, I'm feeling a bit better about owning an asset that has gone up in value than an asset that I transact with every day that has gone down in value. So buying with an exchange to start with is a simple way. And then once you have it on the exchange, transfer that into a hardware wallet that's connected to your computer, something like Ledger. It's like a little USB thumb drive. And uh, then you are officially your own bank. And you're literally storing your money in like a digital piggy bank, um, which is connected to the internet. And if you ever want to transfer it off of your ledger back to a software wallet or a cloud storage wallet, um, and you want to transact with it, you can do that. Um, it just, in my opinion, it's, if, if things get worse economically, usually the banks get hurt too. And um, look, we just had a big COVID bailout. Is the government going to allow another great financial crisis bailout to happen? Probably. But whenever they do these bailouts and they print all of this money, it equals inflation and the value of the dollar, yes. the fiat currency that you use, eroding. So it, it's just common sense to me to not own that long term. The, the easy term here to remember is cash is trash. Right on, man. I love it. That's a, a great note to end on. Cash is trash. Uh, this was fantastic. Where can people uh, find your work and the documentary? What's the best way? Yeah, most of my documentaries are free on uh, 2BTV.com, uh, which is like a Fox uh, entertainment Yeah, I love network. Uh, yeah. Um, so the Bitcoin field guide is free there. Uh, you can search my name, Darcy, D-A-R-C-Y, Weir, W-E-I-R, on Tubi, and my whole catalog of films will come up if you want to check out any of them for free. And uh, yeah, it's all all about education. I just think that this is a opportunity for people. Right on. And your website is occultjourneys.com, correct? Yeah. And you can just check out trailers, check out the... Uh, Posters for my films, if you click on the poster, it usually take you through to Tubi or some other place that the film is available.
Sweet, man. I love it. We're definitely going to have to have you back on sooner than last time. It was a great time. Yeah, man. Sorry it's been too long. Oh, that's all good. That's the way it goes. We're busy people. All right. Until next time, everyone, have an excellent evening. We'll talk again tomorrow. See y'all then. Take care.